Well, if you'll turn with me um, to Proverbs chapter 2, um, we're going to be reading from that chapter this morning. Turn your attention to God's Word. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. For men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this word, we do ask that you would strengthen us this morning. Lord, that you would empower me uh, to proclaim your word with truth and clarity, uh, to encourage. Lord, I pray that you would open ears and eyes and unite hearts to fear your name. Lord, work this in us because we need it from you. We must receive it. And so we pray this for your glory and for our good and joy. Amen. If we went back to chapter 1 of Proverbs, in it we would find an invitation. In that chapter, there's an invitation to hear, to hear wisdom specifically. There's a calling to, to turn from the ways of folly and to then therefore walk in the way of wisdom. I think as we, as we consider moving into a new year we have today, it's a great time to really reassess how we are living and in what way we are walking in the day-to-day, in what, in what path we are pursuing. And then as Proverbs moves into chapter 2, more instruction is given in gaining wisdom as well as what can expect to, to receive upon gaining that wisdom. And some questions are, are, that we have are, can, can wisdom simply be gained by reading sayings and, and knowing information? You know, what does it actually take to get wisdom? And listen, because I, I think in this arena, there are really only two paths. There's the path of folly or the path of wisdom. This is why the father, I think, is so strong in pointing his son to wisdom and the, the, the grave necessity of attaining to it. 
Let me read a little bit from chapter 4, where the father is relaying instruction that he had actually received from his father. Uh, Starting in in chapter 4, verse 4, the second half of that verse, he says, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. See, throughout the book of Proverbs, wisdom is upheld. It's it's lifted high as that which we are to pursue. It's personified in many ways. It's set forth as that which is obviously good for a person And I'm not sure it could be put any more simply or strongly than what you have in chapter 4. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. If you want to begin to grow in wisdom, know this, that you have to get wisdom. Get wisdom. And that's the focus this morning. The driving force behind what we're going to look at today is get wisdom. This is the charge to us. Some in here are, are, you know, more wise than others. You've lived longer. You've gone through more things. You've developed wisdom over time. But I will tell you this. Every one of us in this room can grow in wisdom. We have the ability to get more wisdom. We have the ability to attain greater wisdom. And I hope that when the end of 2023 comes, you will be able to look back on your life and say, I believe I grew in wisdom this year. I believe I grew in wisdom and stature in the Lord. So I'm going to challenge you to pursue this, to labor diligently to gain wisdom. But one thing I do need to make clear up front and just kind of underlying all of this is that though we are called to pursue wisdom, we have to remember that it's by God's grace that we gain wisdom that we receive wisdom, that wisdom comes, your growth and my growth, it's all by grace. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So he says, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. But I, I did work hard. I did pursue it. I did go after the Lord. But it's his grace that made me who I am today. So this morning then I pray that we would grow more and more as people in walking in the way of wisdom, in relying upon the grace of God and longing for that in our pursuit, that we would be a people characterized by grace and filled with work, a grace-filled labor that seeks to gain wisdom. As we look at this text today, we're going to just see two ideas. We're not going to go through the whole text exhaustively, but two big ideas, and that is the pursuit of wisdom and the prize of wisdom. So the pursuit and the prize. So in verses 1 to 4, the Father sets forth a fairly long if clause, an if-then clause. If you notice as well, he begins in many ways with tenderness. He begins with love. He says, my son, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, now he's, he's, I think he's giving more than just a statement, a statement of saying, you are my progeny, you're my child. He's saying, no, my son, I love you, I care for you. It's relational, he cares. His heart is longing for his son to hear this. 
because he knows that his son lacks what he needs. We don't start with wisdom. The Father's making that clear. By the simple fact of the word receive means you don't have it. Right? If I said, here, Hans, receive this. (laughs) He doesn't have it. He'd have to receive it. He'd have to catch it. You know, it's, we have to be humble enough to recognize that and actually do the hard work of, of putting ourselves in the place to receive, to receive that wisdom, because it's something someone else possesses that you actually need. You do not have it. And therefore, humility and having that understanding that you don't have the wisdom is the most basic reality or the most basic posture that you need to embrace in order to gain wisdom. Say this from the get. If you are not humble, you will not grow in wisdom. It is the most basic posture you need. By the mere fact as well that we are created beings, that there is a creator and we are creatures, should tell us that we need to receive. That we don't have it all. We've been created. Someone else made us. And so to get this wisdom, the Father tells the Son, receive my words. Receive my words. Now for us, this is not our Father talking to us here, but, but, but what does this mean for us? What are these words that we are to receive? I think it's Scripture. It's, it's God's Word that we are to receive. Bruce Waltke wrote, he said, the first condition stipulates that the Son become like Solomon's temple, whose inner sanctuary housed the Word of God. We are to house the Word of God inside of us. Our minds, our hearts are to be a a repository of what God has said. And not only that, not only are we to house it, but we are to treasure up those words, treasure up His commandments. Now, the word translated as treasure up could also be translated as hide. Uh, hide those words. We're to hide the words of God with us. This, this does not mean that we would hide them in the sense that no one, and uh, including us, could ever find them again, but that we hide them in a place where they cannot be lost. We're to hide those words so that we can access them, so that we can enjoy the benefits. And I think many of you know that I really enjoyed 80s television. Um, in particular shows like Airwolf and Growing Pains, Family Ties. I longed to be Alex P. Keaton when I was younger. Um, And some of you can understand that. Home Improvement, my kids still love Home Improvement. Um, And of course, MacGyver. Everyone loved MacGyver. He knew more ways to utilize duct tape and a Swiss army knife than any human being ever born on this earth. He had a wealth of information hidden away to to, to be found in the time of need. It was treasured by him, and it saved him on myriad occasions. Folks, in many ways, that information that that MacGyver was able to hide up to to treasure, to, to then access is how we are to view the Word of God. We treasure it up so that we can access it in the time that we need it, and in a time of need, hide God's Word so as to find it when the moment arises. Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that, so that, in order that I might not sin against you. How did Jesus repel the temptations of Satan in the wilderness? He quoted Scripture. He quoted a book that most of you have memorized completely, I'm sure, Deuteronomy, right? Um, He quoted text of Scripture. 
that he might not sin against the Lord. Now, folks, when we do that, it's obviously not putting God's Word in a place where we can't access it, but that we have made it so, so much of our possession. It's so loved that, in a sense, it's ours, that it's ours. That fits right along with Proverbs 2.1, the end where it says that these are to be treasured up with you, treasure up my words with you. They're to stay with you, a constant companion. And then we move to verse 2. He says, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. There's ear and heart. There's, there's parallelism in, in those words there. The first clause calls us to make our ears attentive, to be wrapped with attention, to, to lean in, to do what you must be able to do to, 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 to receive. There's an idea here of tuning your ears, getting it on the right frequency. Some of you, some of you will understand this. Others have no idea what I'm talking about, but tuning the dial on your car radio as you're driving just to try and get that fuzz away so you can actually hear what you're listening to clearly. He's calling us, tune your ears. Tune your ears to the right place. And so with this too, I think there's an implication that we're to guard as well what our ears hear. We're to make them attentive to wisdom. We're to tune them to wisdom, and therefore, we should tune out folly. We aren't to listen to certain things. So let me ask you this. What are you tuned to? What tends to go into your ears? What fills your days? To what is your ear attentive? Is it folly or is it wisdom? What's feeding into your heart through your ears most consistently? Well, then the author tells his son to incline his heart. That word incline is, is it's important, and I, and I think it's fairly vivid. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 119.36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Or, or verse 112, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Do you, do you hear how that verb incline is used? The, the root has the meaning of, of stretch out for, reach, reach out for. I, I picture a, a first baseman or a, a goalie in soccer stretching out, contorting one's body to do whatever they can to get to the ball. The Father's instructing the Son, Son, incline, do everything that you can to incline your heart, to stretch out your heart to understanding. So along with that, to what do you contort and stretch out your heart to know? What do you lean and reach for? Again, is it wisdom or is it folly? Because the call for us is to incline our hearts to wisdom, to God's Word, to His truth, to His ways, to His character, ultimately to Him. These first few verses speak of humility and diligence and labor to find wisdom, to receive it. That's what it takes. It takes that in any endeavor to grow. 
Folks, sometimes I think we think, oh goodness, that's, that sounds like so much, but if you want to be a doctor, no one bats an eye at the fact that you have to spend seven to eight years in school and then an internship and on and on and on just to be proficient in what you do, and yet we bat our eyes sometimes and think, oh no, I can't do this when I'm laboring to know the wisdom of the infinite God who created everything. Something seems backwards there. You know, why would it seem so foreign to us that in order to learn the wisdom of God, it will actually take a lifetime of attention and inclination and study and prayer? One phrase that I've never enjoyed hearing from people as a pastor is, I've heard that before. I know that. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I have to control myself in those responses. Folks, this is not um, like a pat on myself. On the, I've read the Bible probably since I was 11. I think it was the first time I read it through. And I've done it probably every other year, read through the whole Bible since then. I'll be 50 this year. There's something new every day. There's something that I look back and go, man, I don't even remember reading that. And many of you have probably read the Bible more. Folks, there's so much to know. 66 books filled with knowledge of God. Of the infinite God, of how He's determined to to reveal Himself to us. It should not be so unheard of that we labor to know that. But let's move to verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. The yes adds emphasis here. By now, the reader's actually expecting, because he starts off with this if, you're expecting, where's the then? Where, where's the, the so after that? But the author is continuing the if, and it's emphasizing what follows. Yes, if you call out for insight, if you call out, I think this is prayer. Gaining wisdom does not come solely through study and knowledge. I took a a lot of religious studies courses in college. I went to Ball State University, so state school. My professors knew a lot about the Bible, but very few of them had any real wisdom because they didn't actually know Jesus. They knew technicalities, they knew certain aspects, they knew maybe about the poetry or this and that, but they, they had never actually called out and had a, a personal relationship with the Lord, the one who gives wisdom. They had facts, but the Father is telling us that we, we need more than facts. We need to long, we need to call out, we need to cry out, because we're seeking to know God. We're not just seeking to know information, we're seeking to know God himself. And there's fervency, there's desperation, there's strong desire in this. And then the Father says, you you raise your voice for understanding. These clauses are are parallel. They tell us that wisdom does not come easily or quickly. Wisdom, gaining wisdom requires a long obedience in the same direction, sustained diligence, honesty, uh, 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 it's energy and work. 
And it doesn't matter at what starting point you are, whether you've started when you were 5 or 10 or 70. Just be on that path of seeking wisdom. Don't look back and say, man, I wish I would have started then. Yeah, I wish there were a lot of things I could have done differently. But the call is to, to pursue it now. We need to plead for and seek the wisdom of God as we, you know, as we actively spread out His Word before us and study and meditate and pray. Pray, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Finally, we come to the last verse of the if clause. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently. Those who seek me diligently find me. The image here is of, it's of mining, it's of digging after, again, expending time and energy and, and resources. Imagine if you had a map, a treasure map that you believed wholeheartedly led to um, uh, wealth untold. What would you do? Okay, I know this is a bit corny, but Nick Cage's character in the movie National Treasure is a perfect example of what you would do. You would risk your life. You would steal the Declaration of Independence so that you could find this treasure, this wealth untold. You would do everything you could to reach it. Folks, we're called to seek God's wisdom, the Word of God, God Himself. Seek it like treasure. This is not a hunt that can fail. It will yield what's promised. It's not hidden. You don't have to steal the Declaration of Independence to find it. There's no secret society. And yet, too often, we are not willing to give up other comforts or desires in order to seek real treasure, treasure that is actually guaranteed to be there. And seeking it takes work, it takes labor, it takes study, it takes prayer in order to find this treasure. So are you pursuing it? Are you seeking it? Are you humble enough to know that you need this wisdom from God? Do you recognize that you can only grow in wisdom through putting in time and effort and through God's grace working alongside your diligent study? I don't want to be simplistic here but I don't want to complicate things that actually aren't very complicated. This boils down to our need to study, to pray, and meditate on God's Word. I know life is busy, but what's important? We tend to make time for what we view as important. We will make sure we're at a certain place and at a certain, you know, at a certain time to do something else. But some of us, it's a real struggle to do that which is of greatest importance. Folks, this is a treasure. This is a treasure to know God and His Word. It truly is because there, one, there is a prize with this. There's, there's actually, there is a then statement here. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The prize of searching for wisdom is God Himself. The fear of the Lord. 
That's the, the prize. But, but you, some of you might be asking, wait, how, how does this work that the, the prize is that, that, that you'll find, you know, you'll understand the fear of the Lord when Proverbs 1, 7 says the beginning of, uh, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. How is it both the beginning and the end? I think it's because we grow in it like a course of study. It's like a 101, a 201, a 301, a 401, ad infinitum course where you grow and grow in the knowledge of the Lord. We're seeking to be more and more skilled, knowledgeable, really ultimately more Christ-like, more loving, more gracious, more reflecting of the character of our God. And the fear of the Lord is integral to all of that. One commentator wrote this. He said, I can say with conviction that there is no problem in Christian living that isn't related to the fear of God. Every last defect in my character would be addressed by deeper fear of God, biblically defined. Every failing or weakness I've met in fellow humans can be traced to defective fear of God. Every bit of growth in Christ-centered graces relates to growth in the fear of God. I think this fits along with what great theologian John Murray said. He called the fear of the Lord the soul of godliness. Having a right view of God, having a, a true reverential awe, having proper awe and understanding of God is essential. It's understanding, part of that is understanding we're creatures and He's the Creator. He is sovereign and all powerful. We are not. But on top of the fear of the Lord, the author also states that you will find the knowledge of God. Derek Kidner, who's a great Old Testament commentator, he called the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God the poles, P O L E S, of awe and intimacy. There's awe in the fear of God and intimacy in the knowledge of God. See, wisdom involves walking intimately with God and knowing Him well. Knowing is a verb of intimacy. You cannot know God in the abstract. You cannot know your spouse in the abstract. You cannot know those that you love in the abstract. It is personal. It is intimate. Well, then let's look at verses 6 to 8. For the Lord gives wisdom... From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Again, the wisdom is not ours, for the Lord gives wisdom. We do not possess it, but God rewards those who seek. He stores it up for us. He is a shield, guarding and watching over his saints. And that word that's translated saints, the root of that word uh, is the same as the word chesed, which is God's covenant love, his steadfast love, his mercy. The saints are those who are identified as those who, who rest and who are made saints by God's mercy, by God's grace, by his covenant love. We're dependent on his mercy, and we cry out, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We are dependent, folks. There is no safety. There is no wisdom in seeking autonomy, in seeking to be independent. There is, though, safety and security and devotion and obedience to God. And I, I wish there were more time to go through the rest of the chapter uh, much like we did the beginning. But hopefully, here's just a push, take time and read the chapter later and study it. What a, what a, there, there, there's a, something I can do later. Um, but look at verse 9 um, through 15. 
He writes, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Doesn't that sound great? For wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Think about those words. Wisdom and knowledge, that will be what pleases you. That will be what is pleasant to your soul. As you grow, your, your tastes will change. If you've ever decided to, to say, you know what, I'm going to go away from sugar and just not eat sugar for a while, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, that cookie looks really good, and you eat that cookie, I will tell you this, it will not taste that good. It will not feel like you wanted it to feel. It will not be satisfying because you have changed your taste to something that's actually better. And so the more you change your taste to where wisdom is pleasant, those things that are not wise will become repulsive and unpleasant. What a lovely benefit. What a lovely part of growing in wisdom. You'll be guarded and watched over and delivered. And then the chapter ends with these words, verse 20. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. That just sent my mind back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. but it doesn't just leave me in Psalm 1. It actually leads me to John 14, pretty well-known passage. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, our pursuit of wisdom, of the way of God, it's pursuit of Jesus. It's seeking to grow in Christ-likeness. It's pursuing Him. He's our treasure. He's the way. He is our wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul wrote, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ, our wisdom from God. Our pursuit of wisdom is our pursuit of Christ. So as we come to the start of this year, folks, my heart is that we all, not just you all, but we all will pursue wisdom, will pursue Christ Himself. But I will say this, it won't happen unless you work at it. To pursue is an active verb. You have to pursue. So I'm just going to ask some practical questions. Do you have a plan? The old adage, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Do you have a plan? You know, you could be really aggressive on a plan. I don't necessarily recommend that for everyone if, if it's not in your system already. There's many plans to do it, to think through it. 
because it's not going to happen if you don't. It won't happen by accident. You don't accidentally grow. So think through the things you're going to do. Pursue the right things. And if you need help thinking through this, we can talk after the service. I'll meet this week or next week. There's plenty of time. Like, don't think, oh, today's the first, and if I don't start on the first, I can't really start. No, poppycock. That just pursue the Lord. I don't know where that word came from. <laughs> I didn't even watch, like, you know, what is it, uh, Mary Poppins or something? I don't know. <laughs> you too. Um, now, to end with resonating with Paul's heart here is what I want to try and do. What Paul expressed when he wrote to the Colossian church, and a letter that was not just sent to Colossae, but then was spread throughout all of Asia Minor, sent to all the churches. And he wrote this. He, he wrote in chapter 2, he says, I, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he actually adds a little benefit. He says, I, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. It sounds a lot like Proverbs 2 to me. Pursue Christ, know Him, come to the, the, the riches of full assurance and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I long for that for all of us, to attain to that, to have the riches of that full assurance, the knowledge of Christ. Mine that treasure. Seek that treasure. Pursue Him, folks. Incline your heart to Him. He's already given His life for you. He's enabled you to respond and pursue Him. Pursue. Seek Him. And, and so my, my prayer in many ways for this year is may the wisdom of God, may our Lord Jesus Christ be such a delight that we will actively pursue Him and find our pleasure and, and our treasure and, and all that, that goodness that's in Him as we do pursue Him, as we do seek Him. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that You would that you would teach us to seek you more. Teach us to seek Christ, to know the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, to follow hard after you, to incline our hearts to pursue. Humble us to know that we need it. And Lord, give us glimpses, whether daily or weekly or whatever, that, that, helps, pursue, that helps propel us forward actively in this pursuit.
And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.